The big news this coming week is that Pope Francis has a new encyclical. The word is that it will be titled after the Canticle of Creation by St. Francis, Praised Be to You. That's because this is the first official papal document dealing with the ecology. Of course, it is not the first time a pope speaks about the environment. In fact, Pope Benedict was dubbed the Green Pope because of how much he spoke about the environment. Benedict spoke frequently about climate change and environmental degradation. It was also Benedict who made the Vatican the first carbon-neutral state in the world. Needless to say, that pretty much every pope for the last 120 years has spoken about how the economy must benefit the common good, giving special attention to the poor. And that's what this encyclical will probably be about. It won't be anything new. It will be the gospel according to the book of Genesis, according to St. Francis and St. Bonaventure. It will be according to the great social encyclicals of Leo XIII, Pius XI, John XXIII, Paul VI, John Paul II, and Benedict XVI. It will be solid Catholic doctrine. And we expect that it will speak about the primacy of the human person and that balance between the human and the natural ecology and about how all creation has a right to benefit from creation. It will be about what we call integral ecology. And all those themes are also part of the new six-part documentary series, Creation, that I've been working on for the last five years. I've never seen so much buzz for an encyclical, and that's good. Anything we can do to ensure a better future where humans care for all creation, human and natural, and especially the poor, who are so close to God's heart. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, I'm Deacon Pedro. Welcome to another all-new Salt and Light Hour. We begin with a winner. Gabriel Lastraps of Houston, Texas. Gabriel Lastraps, again, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Gabriel Lastraps. You've won a copy of Lorraine Hess' As I Pray that we featured last week. If you haven't already, Gabriel, please contact us so we can get you your prize. And today, Sister Marie Paul Curley returns to talk about a new movie that's in about 15 minutes, just after our news and Andrew's Saint of the Week. In our second half hour, we're going to be doing some philosophy with author Michael Ogros, who just wrote a book titled Who Designed the Designer? In the book, he takes us through a logical and philosophical approach to proving the existence of God. That should be interesting. That's in about half an hour. And after that, we'll be speaking with our featured artist of the week, Matt Marr. As many of you already know, Matt has a new album, Saints and Sinners, and there's lots to talk about, so he'll be here at the end of the program. Let's begin with a song from that album. Here's Matt Marr with Firelight from his new album, Saints and Sinners. Dear Jesus, where are you tonight? Sadness deep inside Child. 
If anyone remembers my name If I'm ever known for anything Let it be a run into the night Running with a firelight, firelight If anyone remembers my name If I'm ever known for anything Let it be a run into the night Running with a firelight, firelight If anyone remembers my name That was Matt Marr with Firelight from his new album, Saints and Sinners. And we're going to be speaking with Matt Marr at the end of the program. And in about 10 minutes, Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. But first, Stefan is here with our news. Thanks, Pedro. Uh, It's been a busy week for Pope Francis uh, and the Church. Uh, Last weekend, he traveled for one day on an apostolic journey to Sarajevo, which is the capital of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Uh, which is located in the Balkans in southeastern Europe. Uh, the message behind this trip was "Peace be with you," sort of the motto for the couple of day for the uh, for the day that he was there. Uh, he began with saying a mass in a stadium for about sixty five thousand people, and he he really spoke to that theme of peace. And one of his great concerns that he mentioned in his sermon was that uh, a third world war was being fought piecemeal, and that really it was. Um, it was protecting the interests of a powerful few, uh, especially those uh, controlling the arms industry. So very, very tough words from him on that. Uh, later, he met with uh, religious in the uh, in the cathedral in uh, Sarajevo, the Catholic cathedral there. And uh, he heard testimonials from some of those uh, religious who had experienced just incredible, incredible violence and tragedy uh, during the Bosnian Wars in the 1990s. Uh, So the Pope was really moved by that and just, you know, discarded his prepared remarks and just spoke from the heart to to those religious there and encouraged them to... uh, to really, you know, continue living out their vocation uh, in, in in such a in such a great way. Uh, from there, he met with uh, leaders of different faith communities in an interfaith meeting uh, with Orthodox, Muslim, uh, and Jewish leaders. Uh, and finally, his last meeting of the day uh, was with young people, uh, both Christian uh, and Orthodox. Pardon me, Catholic and Orthodox. And he heard. Uh, a number of testimonies and stories from them as well. Uh, the young people talking about some of the prejudices they face uh, in Bosnian society. Uh, and the Pope really encouraged them and told them to continue living their faith. Uh, but he also reminded them that there's a moral crisis really going on. And uh, he, he didn't want, he made sure to tell them not to allow their humanity and their faith to be diminished and to really keep close to God and keep that faith strong. Um, then uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, the Council of Cardinals uh, met for a couple days. This is Pope Francis's uh, group of uh, advisors from around the globe. And uh, one of the things that they talked about were new guidelines uh, for uh, clerical abuse. Uh, there was a presentation from Cardinal O'Malley, and the Pope ultimately approved 
uh, they outline for a new system which can actually hold bishops accountable uh, in cases of uh, of abuse if if the bishops aren't uh, handling the situations appropriately. So the new system gives the congregation for the doctrine of the faith uh, the power to uh, judge to judge bishops. Uh, so there's going to be a new office tribunal set up uh, to deal with that in the unfortunate case that those issues would arise. Now, also Wednesday, uh, Pope Francis met with Russian President Vladimir Putin at the Vatican. Uh, it's the second such meeting between the two men uh, at the Vatican in as many years. Uh, it took place at the Apostolic Palace, and the big topics were Ukraine and the Middle East. And on the topic of Ukraine, the Holy Father really urged the Russian president to help move towards that commitment of peace in Ukraine and really uh, promoted the Minsk ceasefire agreement, which is supposed to uh, really minimize the violence in the area. Uh, but he said dialogue was key. He told the president that the dialogue was key and they had to, there had to be dialogue between the Ukrainian government and the rebels in the east. And lastly, they spoke of the Middle East, reaffirmed the urgent need for peace there from the international community giving their all uh, to ensure that religious minorities, particularly Christians, uh, were safe and had the same rights as everybody else. That's all we've got for this week. That was our news producer, Stefan Slovak. You can catch Stefan on Salt and Light TV Mondays through Thursdays on our daily update, Perspectives. You can also watch it on demand at saltandlighttv.org and also on our Roku channel. Hey everybody, this is Luke Spihar. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me at deaconpedro.com and also on Facebook. Just search for Deacon Pedro. And my Twitter handle is at deaconpedroGM. And now it's time for... Saint of the Week with Andrew Santos. Deacon Andrew, Pedro. Welcome back, Andrew. Thanks so, again. So last, last week you, you did St. Teresa of Avila, we Consecrated did. We Life. We St. Teresa of Avila, and I wanted to spend uh, the month of June really looking at saints in the Church who have lived out that call to the Consecrated Life. There are many, okay. many people that we can look to, and this saint for this week is no different. So I know a little bit about him, and I knew just a tad about his story, but I thought I would dig deep in and get to the heart of who saint Alphonsus de Liguori is. Okay, okay, yes. Alphonsus so, St. Alphonsus de Liguori, we know, 1696, uh, just outside Naples, Italy, that's where he was born. Uh, Alphonsus was the son of a captain in the Royal Navy and was also born to a very devoted mother from a noble family in that city. Uh-huh. Um, he was 16 when he was awarded doctorates of civil and canon law. Goodness gracious, yeah. I wish I was awarded doctorates at that age. Canon lawyer, yeah. Um, but when he was 18, like many, many nobles, he joined, uh, interestingly, uh, the Confraternity of Our Lady of Mercy. Uh-huh. And he was known to care for the sick in hospitals, um, you know, just doing all those tasks, changing bedclothes, feeding the helpless. Um, he really lived out that social justice call, mm-hmm. you know, uh, devoting himself to really mercy and compassion. Following his um, father's will, he became a lawyer, and before he was the age of 20, he was regarded as one of the most gifted lawyers working in the Kingdom of Naples. Mm -hmm. So, um, after losing what was the most important case he had ever taken on at that time, we know that Alphonsus left the legal profession to enter the priesthood, and that was a big disappointment to his father, because that's what his father expected of him, was, was to be a really good lawyer. We know that he was ordained in 1726, and Alphonsus was quite the person. He was very brilliant, 
we knew that he was a very articulate and very pragmatic preacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had the ability to really reach ordinary, simple people who had limited education, but at the same time, very real needs. Uh, so he went from church to church, town to town, and he really preached the hope and the joy that comes from uh, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Alphonsus's final years of life were kind of marked by um, some very serious and physical ailments. Uh, we know that he struggled with arthritis, which caused him great pain and confined him to a wheelchair. But let's put aside the physical ailments for a second, and let's look at the spiritual afflictions. Um, he had feared that he did not do enough to serve God in everything that he did. Right. So all those who he had worked and prayed with, all of his confreres gathered around him to pray, and they always included in their prayers the Litany of Our Lady, followed by the Rosary. So that's, that's it's really good that it's really neat to hear that Saint Alphonsus Liguori had a special devotion to the Rosary mm-hmm. as well as the Litany. Um, early in the evening, uh, end of July, 1787, Alphonsus made one final request. We know that in his final words, he said, "Give me my lady." Huh. So his confreres placed a picture of Mary in his hands, and he spent the night in prayer with. Mary, with the Blessed Mother. How beautiful that the next day at the stroke of noon, um, really, you know, we pray the Angelus traditionally, Deacon Pedro at 6 in the morning, noon, and at 6 at night. Um, At the stroke of the noon Angelus, Alphonsus died at the age of 91. Hmm. Let's fast track. Uh, Canonized. He was canonized in in 1839. He was declared, here we are, another doctor in the Church in 1871. And he was recognized as a patron of confessors and moral theologians. And that happened in 1950. Right. He is the only moral theologian, Deacon Pedro, whose opinion the Roman Catholic Church has said that we can follow specifically when it comes to moral issues. Oh, yeah. So St. John Paul II himself uh, described Alphonsus as a close friend of the people. Um, a bishop whose house was open to all. A writer who focused on the benefit of people. So St. Alphonsus Liguori, not only is he a saint in the Roman Catholic Church, he's also a doctor who we can look to, but also a moral theologian that we could, uh, that we could run to when we, need, when we need some thought and reflection. So his feast day, I know it's not in this month, just like Teresa of Avila, but um, his feast day is August the 1st. Okay. But um, I think he's a good person um, to kind of end off our season of uh, Saint of the Week. Absolutely. So St. Alphonsus Liguori, August 1st. Thank I just you. get goosebumps reading his story. It's, yeah, it's, I didn't quite know. Something. And, the, and quite a way to die, too. Yeah, I, I didn't know much about him, so that yeah. was good. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Andrew Santos is our saint expert, and he's also the youth director at St. Justin Martyr Parish in Markham, Ontario. Hi, this is Lorraine Hess, and you're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. My name is Deacon Pedro. You can find Salt and Light Radio on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash slradio1 and be sure to like our page. And now it's time for... Windows to the Soul with Sister Marie Paul Curley. Sister Marie Paul, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be on, Deacon Pedro. So... What what do you, you have? You have uh, a gem for us today. I do, and I, I'm going to start by asking you: Do you have a favorite animated film in the past? You know, from the past year. Ooh, or so? that's hard. 
There's some really good. Well, you know what? Maybe it's the last one I saw, and it wasn't bad. Uh, Big Hero Six. Um, oh. I don't know if you got to see that. Um, it, 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 I, I saw it, and I was surprised by it. It, uh, it had some, some, some good moments and a good message, I, I thought. Big Hero I, 6. Yeah, Big Hero 6. I still need to see that, but yes. um, I heard good things about it. So yeah. Anim- yeah animation, animation is good because I think you can, you can get to some deep truths, and we accept them because it's not real. So in yeah. that sense, I think it's a good device. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree. Uh, the, the film I want to talk about today is kind of a little-known gem. It doesn't seem to have hit. A lot of people don't seem to be aware of it. It's called The Book of Life. Okay. And it's directed by Jorge Gutierrez. It was uh-huh. released on, in the theaters last fall, released to DVD in January, and I wanted to talk about it then, and I never got the chance. Right. So it's, uh, it's a really interesting film. It's, it's based on a tradition coming out of Mexico, kind of the setting. Is yeah. Um, this Day of the Dead, which oh, how yeah. it's celebrated in Mexico is is a kind of a cross between superstition and Christianity. So it's not really a Christian holiday in Mexico, right, but it does have some references to you know Christianity. Yeah. So November second, Day of Day of the Dead, we we yeah. celebrate All Saints Day on November first after Halloween, yes. and and then the day uh, All Souls Day is November second, Dia de los Muertos in Spanish. Yes. Yes. And so it kind of takes this, um, it kind of takes a, a bit of the superstitious element with a, a lady death or a saint death. Yeah. Um, and, sh- you know, she is an important character in the plot. But the cool thing is, is how deeply Christian the worldview is of this film, even though the setting is not necessarily Christian. Okay. And it's the story of Manolo, who with his best friend, Joaquin, is in love with their child, childhood uh, playmate, Maria. Now, Manolo's father wants him to follow in the family tradition and become a bullfighter, but Manolo wants to become a musician. So um, it's, it's the, all three of these characters are very well developed, beautifully developed, actually, and yeah. the animation is unusual. It's uniquely reflective of Mexican culture. It's wonderfully um, engaging storytelling, and it's really kind of cool to see how a, a filmmaker has taken these traditions in Mexican culture and made them accessible also to a, a, you know, an American, a, a U.S. and Canadian audience right. as well. You don't need to know Mexican culture to appreciate the beauty of this film. It's very imaginative, very creative plot twist. And mm-hmm. although one bad guy is very flat and just bad, most <laughs> of the characters are quite complex and sympathetic. So even the characters that aren't that great you know, in terms of their choices or their obstacles from Manolo and Joaquin and Maria, they're still complex and sympathetic. And that's really, I love that in a film. So some of the values in the film are, you know, it takes an afterlife for granted. You know, death is a passageway, not an end. Uh-huh. Now, how they understand and express the afterlife is different than how we would as, as Christians, but it's just a taken for granted. The importance of courage is highlighted, especially for these two young boys, you know, in the, in the childhood scene. And that, that's a theme that's carried throughout the whole film. The importance and support of family, even when family's not perfect, is really powerful. I mean, this is where it really takes Mexican um, tradition and culture and really brings it to the fore. It's so beautifully with the portrayal of family. The, the theme of heroism being selfless, 
the theme of friendship, um, strong women, even though Maria and the other female characters in the film are, have smaller supporting roles, they're very strong, yeah. and they're, uh, you know, they're 3D, they're three-dimensional. But the big, big theme that I really love is the theme of forgiveness and how it opens the door to love. It frees us so that we can love. So asking for forgiveness and forgiving. And I, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there is a scene in the film that is so deeply powerful that even though the theater that I was watching it in was full of kids and families, you could not hear a pin drop. It was so powerfully wow. written and so powerfully portrayed. So this is a great film to see over the summer or next fall. Uh, there, there is animated violence. It's rated PG here in the U.S. Yeah. You know, there's a criminal who's threatening the town. There are bullfights. Uh, there's encouragement to kill the bulls, and there is fighting between the characters as this criminal keeps trying to uh, take over the town. Mm-hmm. But um, overall, it's just a great family film with so many great values in it, and uh, and colorful and engaging, and just a very original twist on some of these themes. Okay, yeah. I So Book of Life, uh, we have a little more time. Can I ask you, why do you think it it didn't do so well? Because it sounds like it's a great film. You know, I don't know if don't it was know. a marketing decision or it's it's followed in the path of some other really right. great you know, animated films that just didn't get the exposure that they needed. It didn't have a big name. Yeah. It doesn't have a, a commercial connection like the Lego movie, which was you know right. also an incredible film that had all the commercial backing. So I, that's my guess because the story, even though it's quite complex, um, even younger, chil- fairly young children should be able to follow it, while adults will be entertained with all the right. complexity and richness of it. So, um, I'm guessing it was more of a yeah, marketing more of a question. marketing thing. Yeah, because I don't think but I heard much about it before it came out. I think I yeah, actually heard I, it about it for the first time after it had been in the theaters. And it didn't play in the theaters very long, no. so that's also you know. Um, it, but it's done, I mean, it's done well enough, uh, but it's, it just would be nice if more people saw it, because it's really a good film. Okay, well, good. We'll hope that people can actually go find it and watch it, because uh, yeah. it sounds like, sounds like a good film. Okay, so that's The Book of Life. It is PG, but it's for the full, whole family. Yes. All right. Thank you, Sister Marie Paul. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. Sister Marie Paul, Sister Marie Paul Curley, is with the Congregation of the Daughters of St. Paul, and you can read her blog at windowstothesoul.wordpress.com, and you can also follow her on Twitter at Sister M. Paul. Coming up in our second half hour, rediscovering a new path to God's existence and a featured chat with Matt Marr. So don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, this may not be for everyone, but I love this stuff. I love a good philosophical argument, and I've always believed that if God is real, if God is perfect reason, if God is the author of nature and science, then we should be able to find him through reason. And if you like a good argument, especially one that proves that God is real, then Michael Ogros' new book, Who Designed the Designer, is for you. It is essential reading for anyone who cares about contemplating the existence of God or for anyone who is interested in a journey that begins in the world as we know it and it ends in God. 
And to tell us all about his new book, I am now joined by Michael Augros. Michael, welcome to the Sultan Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Deacon Pedro. So why write this book? <laughs> wow, what a great question. You you almost answered it for me in your, your introductory bit Did there. I? Um, yeah, because uh, it's true that, that reasoning to the existence of God involves work. There's there's no way of getting the work out of it. Yes. Uh, and the more work you put in, the, the, the greater the rewards, with, as with so many other things in life. Um, but uh, it's also possible to minimize that work to some extent. I, I tried to do that in this book. Um, in some ways, you could say the inspiration for the book was uh, St. Paul, Romans 120, uh, where he says, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Uh-huh. So I, I, that's really the, the inspiration for this book, um, not so much the, the new atheist books, uh, um, Christopher Hitchens yeah. and Richard Dawkins and Stephen Hawking and so on. Those, those helped give me focus. But I actually started the idea for this book in, as far back as 2003, I believe. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, and the real inspiration was, uh, you know, the, a lot of the, the books out there are either science-based and they're involved in lots of details that, that um, the layman can't verify. I can't yeah. verify. I've got to take the scientist's word for it. Yeah. Um, or they're written for people with formal training in philosophy. And St. Paul seems to be saying there in Romans, the, the beauty of the world, the, the order of the world, things that we can perceive, that could be perceived by ordinary people 2,000 years ago, are an adequate starting point for seeing that there's a God and seeing certain truths about Him. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to make that as widely available as possible, and that, that was my, my, my goal. I don't know, um, so, I couldn't get all the difficulty out, but yeah, yeah go ahead. No, what, so you, you claim that you can prove the existence of God. That's right. Yeah, I would say so. And I think that's uh, Catholic doctrine, yes. finally. Yeah, um, it is. But it, St. Paul is saying that, even if you're a Christian and not a Catholic, I think St. Paul is, he says after that, that passage I was quoting, that therefore they're without excuse, these, these, um, the, uh, those among the Gentiles who are learned and so on, who deny God's existence or deny his attributes, they're without excuse because the evidence is all around us. Yeah, 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 like, like the fact that we live in an ordered... Um, order universe. Um, I always tell people that that I think that if they are really honest with the questions and they ask the right questions and they're honest with the answers, they actually will come to the conclusion that that there is a God. That's kind of what you're doing. I think that's exactly right. Yeah, that's. Um, I do uh, presupp- I don't presuppose in the book any training in philosophy or anything like that. No, uh, it's just an, an ordinary sort of. Um, uh, Background, a, a, a ordinary education, not 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 a specific education uh-huh. in philosophy. General education is fine, but uh, but I do assume a certain kind of honesty and and interest on the part of the reader. Um, that that much is true. Yeah, right. And you don't assume that there is a God either. No, no, and I don't assume the truth of Scripture or anything like that. No. It really is beginning from ordinary, common-sense experience of the world, common-sense contact with reality, and trying to see that even in these ordinary things, um, there's evidence, that uh, really decisive evidence, that there is a God. Uh, once at the dinner table, my son Ben said, um, Hey, Dad, I, I heard that you know in philosophy you... you um, you can prove God's existence. And I said, yeah, that's right, son. And he said, well, if, if that's true, what do you start from? Where do you begin? Yeah. Do you start from things like atoms colliding or from the Big Bang or from, you know, some kind yeah. of fancy thing like that? And I said, actually, no, you, 
you, maybe you can. You could start with those things, too, and many books do that sort of thing. They'll, they'll talk about the existence of God from the evidence of astrophysics mm-hmm. uh, or biochemistry. Um, but I said, actually, Ben, the, the philosopher's way begins from things that you know yourself already. Even the existence of anything at all or of motion or just very boring things you know, <laughs> are, are enough yeah. to, to get you there. Uh, but perhaps the way that, that's, that's, that's most... Um, uh, most important is starting from the beauty of the world. But but St. Thomas, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas now, um, yes. he argues for the existence of God just from the fact that motion exists. That's his first way of getting there. You don't need any other datum, any other given thing, any other starting point than that is just, there's motion. Now, watch what happens. Watch what necessarily follows from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's go let's go to that because you, if I can say, you kind of outlined some basic principles as you make your argument, can you maybe take us through some, in fact, well, the first mover, can you take us through that, that principle? Yeah, so let, let's, uh, there's a lot to say about that. Um, in fact, I just got out of class with some uh, colleagues of mine where we're reading that material together, and yeah. we can spend a whole two hours together just talking about one of those arguments. So, so I'm going to just pick one thing yes. yeah. uh, and focus on it. And uh, let's take the idea that if you have a, a cause of motion or a cause of any kind, that maybe that cause can have a cause before it, and that cause can yeah. have a cause that's working on it. How do you know there has to be a first cause? Let's start maybe just with that. Yes. Um, and I think one way to see that is, um, well, first of all, we're not talking about going backwards in time. We're talking about things that are acting right now. That's the way St. Thomas thinks, and that's extremely important to understanding how he argues. So we're not talking about, you know, I have a son, and then I'm the son of somebody before me, and so on back in time. Yeah, so first we're talking more like yeah. I'm painting a picture with a paintbrush, and the brush is making the painting, but I'm also making the painting, and yes. I'm causing the brush to cause the painting. Yes. That's, that's the kind of order we're talking about. Yes. So we're talking about simultaneously acting causes. Now, can those go back forever? Like, there's something causing me to paint the painting and something causing that to cause me to paint the painting? Yes. Well, they, as soon as you think of that, you say, that's kind of a ridiculous idea, that you'd have an infinity of things causing me to paint the painting right now. Uh, so uh, so at the beginning, already at the outset, you see that that's not a very plausible view. Yeah. But now can we see further that it's impossible, that you need a first? I think you can. Um, think about, in, in general, if the, the brush is not going to paint a painting unless it's caused to. Yes. So by itself, it's not a cause really of the painting at all. Now, if you introduce other things that also by themselves are not causes of the painting at all, they're just waiting for things to make them be causes, mm-hmm. how many of those do you need before you get the painting to be produced? Well, if you've got five or ten things, none of which will cause a painting by itself, they're just waiting for other things to make them do that, right. you get nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so in order to get an effect, the only way to get that is if you introduce a cause that operates by itself and doesn't need some previous cause to make it be a cause. But that's what a first cause is. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. No, <laughs> there you go. And I hope uh, this this is the kind of argument that I love, and I hope that people aren't listening to going, it's like, you lost me at the, at the paintbrush. <laughs> but why, why, why do you say that un, undesigned designer, which mm-hmm. I guess is what you're saying in a way with the cause... Yeah, that an uncaused right. cause is a necessity. Like, are we making the the connection there that that uh, that un uncaused cause or that undesigned designer mm-hmm. is That's God? That's a good question. Yeah, yes. yeah. So, I, 
the way I take that is um, anything that is designed is, is a caused thing. So you're not looking at your first cause yet if you're talking about it being designed. But you can reduce that to or bring that back to a first cause, which must be something that um, if it has signs of an intelligence in uh, intellectual, um, or yeah, if, if it's an intelligent being, then mm-hmm. you can't say it needs something to produce it. Well, it has its own intellect now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so in our case, we have intellect. We're designed nonetheless because we come into existence, and our intellects go from knowing nothing to knowing something. Uh, they, they get uh, moved along, you could say. Um, they're limited, right? They have, they, they, these are all indicators that, uh, that we're not self-explanatory beings. But the first cause of, of the order and beauty in the world um, has to be something that, uh, number one, like we said before, there has to be a first cause, so yeah. let there be one now. Uh, but what the real question is, how do you know that that thing's intelligent? Yeah. How, how do we know that? Why not say it's matter or something like that, right. which is really what the atheists want to say. And most of the atheists agree there has to be a first cause. Not all of them, but most right. of them say, yeah, of course yeah. there does. But matter will do the trick or something like that. Um, but there are a few reasons that that's not adequate, actually quite a few. But uh-huh. just to give a quick outline yeah. of two of them, say, one reason is the first cause of all beings in, uh, that we're familiar with, which come to be, including ourselves, um, that's the cause of intelligence because it's the cause of human intelligence. Well, a cause can't give what it doesn't have. Yeah. So that first cause has to have the perfection of intelligence. So that's one way to go very quickly. Uh-huh. Another way to go is to say, the world that we're looking at is beautiful. Now, if you if you want to yes. say that beauty in nature is um, what uh, just a quirk or an accident, I, I suppose you could say that, but that that just doesn't seem to fit with experience. So I take it as a given that the world really is beautiful and that that's a normal and and mm-hmm. and a, a fact that needs explanation. And if you say, well, couldn't the beauty of a tree be caused just by the tree? <laughs> and can't the, the, the beauty of a star be caused just by the star? Well, there's two, two reasons that that's not adequate. Um, one is that uh, they're beautiful together, not just singly. Yeah. And, and they're not organizing themselves into a beautiful whole. So that has to be explained by something else. Um, but also, beauty is, is, it seems to be inherently for... Um, for a viewer, for an observer. And these beings don't have any, you know, trees and stars and mountains. uh, They they don't have any consciousness of any kind. They don't even know that they're beautiful. So they're not adequate explanations of why there should be something that is delightful to observers about the whole universe. So in order to explain that, you have to introduce something, a cause of the beautiful that's actually interested in beauty. And the only kind of thing that can be like that is a thing that has perception or intelligence yeah no this is uh, it's fascinating and you can say the same what you said about beauty you can say about truth you can say about justice you can say about all these all these uh, things that we love that we (laughs) that we ascribe to god wow um, thank you. That I, I hope that, that people are, are as excited as I am <laughs> about this book. <laughs> um, if you love philosophy, a good argument, this is the book. If you like having these conversations with all your friends who are asking these questions, read the book because, because it's certainly uh, it's good, uh, good to help us uh, walk through these, these uh, arguments so we can have these conversations. Michael, thank you for writing the book. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing it with us today. All right. God bless. Michael Ogros teaches at Thomas Aquinas College in California. His latest book, Who Designed the Designer? A Rediscovered Path to God's Existence, 
is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Matt Marr, with Deliverer from his new album, Saints and Sinners. I was a drifter, I had nowhere to go. I was hanging by threads of dust and bone. Every angel I knew was singing, son, come home. But the melody was hard to sing along. God, you're my deliverer The one, the one who carries us God, you're my deliverer I was in trial for everything I did That was Matt Marr with Deliverer from his new album, Saints and Sinners. It was Oscar Wilde who said that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Those are such comforting words and words we can all relate to as sometimes in order to move forward, we have to look back and remember where we've been. In fact, that's a key to discernment, not so much trying to figure out God's will or the future, but looking back and seeing how God has been working in your life, recognizing that 
we are sinners also helps us identify with other broken people. And knowing that we are all called to transformation also helps us focus on God's mercy and love. These are all themes that can be found in Matt Marr's new album, Saints and Sinners. And to tell us more about it, I am now joined by Matt Marr. Matt, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be back. Yes, good, my brother. You've been busy. Um, yeah, I guess we're all busy. So <laughs> many, many of the songs in the album, and I didn't know this until I started, you know, listening to it and and, and reading up on it. But they were they're inspired on writings of saints or holy people. Tell me a bit about that process for you. Well, it, I mean. It, in some ways, I think it, it's really been one of the defining aspects of my writing for the past 20 years. Yeah. Um, you know, that I've, that I've for, you know, 20 years ago this year that I moved to Arizona from Canada and had a conversion and mm-hmm. wow. sort of gave my heart to Jesus and, and, and also got involved in, in local, um, you know, ministry and started you know, re, I guess reattending the sacraments, and uh, but but I think more like more importantly, it was really at that time that a journey started, and in a big part of the process of that journey was me being inspired by the lives of the saints. You know, which yeah. are you know basically, I think sometimes it's like we look at this whole thing called you know, the Christian life or Christianity, and we go, this is completely impossible. Yeah. How could any human being do this? And and that's the great thing about the lives of the saints, is that they're basically just sort of just these examples of, of how God is able to do it through the lives of ordinary people. And, um, and there's been, I think, a couple of them on the way who have been uh, instrumental, I think, in my own formation and my own inspiration, I think, to want to love God and serve Him more and keep doing this whole thing. You know, I think there's a lot, I think a lot of times on the journey of faith, there's, there's a lot of times where we just kind of want to, you know, say, hey, does this, you know, pull the cord and get off on the next bus stop. Yeah, and, yeah. and so I think, and I think that's, that, that sense of kind of disillusionment, um, mm-hmm. It's actually natural, and it's part of the it's part of the journey. And and um, a, a lot of those people also went through the same thing. Yeah. The difference was is that God led them through um, to to a deeper place of faith. And so I think a lot of the songs on this record they were they were inspired by key people who who've been inspirational uh, in my in my own uh, in my own life and formation. Yeah, I, it's, that's so good that you say that. I was just doing a talk to a group of at a theology on tap, and we were talking. It was talking about holiness, but I wanted to talk to them about. It's like, it's like we think that these saints are were perfect, and they weren't. But you don't find out how ordinary they were until you start reading their writings, and really, and that's where the model I think really comes. Because because you're right. It's like I I can't be perfect. <laughs> Forget it. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, right. Um, but the saints are there because they were, they were ordinary and they struggled the same way we did. But, but like you said, God let them through to a deeper place. Um, mm. um, and, and we can all relate to that. Um, I also heard that, I, I don't know if it's unfair to ask you this question because I think there's a story here, but the, the song that we just heard, Deliverer, you wrote it on the first day of your hep C treatment. Yeah. It, just, to, just to 
the, the past year, I've had I had hepatitis C for 27 years. Okay. And um, I actually got it from a blood transfusion um, growing up in Canada. I don't know if you remember this. In the late 90s, there was yes. a huge class action lawsuit against the Canadian Red Cross because it turned out that they had been buying blood. Absolutely, I remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I was one of the people who was infected. Wow, really? Yeah. Huh. And um, and so it was sort of this thing that, you know, hepatitis C is this, you know, weird sort of virus that doesn't really, you know, quote-unquote do anything, especially when you're younger, you know. But anyways, it... <clears throat> I, I I had hepatitis C, you know, so oh, it, um, about 2002, I did a, it was actually right after the first time I met you. Yeah, Toronto, um, yeah. We, after World Youth Day in Toronto, and sort of that great moment and getting the right, you know, ex- sort of expand this setting of the litany of the saints that I wrote. Yeah. You know, and sing it at the, at the vigil. Yeah. I, you know, I went back to Phoenix. In that September, I started interferon therapy the first time. Okay. And did it for a year, and it didn't really work. And, and the, you know, I was, my particular uh, variation of, of the virus, uh, it was non-responsive to treatment. So, but I ended up on it for almost two years, and it was a really, really difficult time. And at the end of it, the doctor said, come back in 10 years. Well, last year was 10 years. Right. And so, and, and she said, she said, just stay healthy. You know, I, I was a smoker at the time. She said, quit smoking. You know, so I did. Um, and she said, they'll probably have a cure in 10 years. And so sure enough, like almost to the date, I um, discovered that there, there was this new, you know, type of treatment that was just a pill. It had almost no side effects. Right. And it had a 95% response rate. Yeah. So I started it. And the first day I, yeah, the, the day I picked up the medication was the day that I wrote this song called Deliverer. Mm-hmm. And it's a funny thing. I'm a bit of a blockhead, you know, because I think a lot of times God is trying to speak to us through the circumstances of our life, and mm-hmm. we just don't see it yeah. in the moment. And it's oftentimes we just have to look back, like, I, like you know, what I've been saying about this record, to actually see his yeah. hand and see where he's been moving and um, so I, I, I got home and I took this medication and then I, I, then I went and wrote uh, a song with two other gentlemen who were in a great band called Need to Breathe mm-hmm. and um, the brothers, Bo and Bear Reinhardt. And they've just become, you know, good friends on the road to, to run into and see. And they're great guys. And Bear had started this song. It was really just about a song about, I think, in some sense, like, coming to an awareness of whatever, you know, valley or pit you find yourself in. And, um, and there's a certain level of freedom. There's actually a massive amount of freedom in, in humbly admitting that you can't save yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then I think there's also a tremendous amount of uh, freedom that comes in the faith and knowing that God can't save you. Yeah. So um, it was this thing of subconsciously, I guess, of me writing this song and, you know, in some sense, helping write a song that I was singing over my own life. Right. Um, 
And so I did that treatment, and then it was about 16 weeks, and at the end of it, I had to get blood work, and uh, and it worked. So I'm sort of considered what's kind of like remission. Really? Um, yeah, probably, you know, for the rest of my life, but, but uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, I'm cured. Yeah, you've been delivered. And, uh, <laughs> so the song for me is a very, it's a powerful thing because it represents a very... Um, tangible moment where I was experiencing, um, I think, the freedom that comes from being loved by God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The freedom of surrender, and, yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then also, just, you know, there was this, you know, the bridge of the song is, is um, at the same time, my son was, like, overcoming his fear of the dark. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> and, and <laughs> you know, you know this, like, when you have a baby monitor, and they're, like when it's when there, there's this change that happens when it, it, when your kid is crying in the dark because they're scared. Yeah. All of a sudden they're singing songs in the dark because yeah. they're not scared anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's such a powerful thing, you know, to uh, to just hear a child um, be free and um, even in the middle of the dark. Yeah. To be free. Yeah. That's great. That's great that he's able to, I guess we, a lot of us and our kids went, went through that, but what a great example of that, like you said, tangible experience that, that a lot of us, I think a lot of us can relate to, but we need to look back and, and, and find those moments in our lives. Um, I, I know that you have a busy fall. You're going to be, uh, in, in Philadelphia for the papal visit. Um, <laughs> is that confirmed? Um, it, I, it's, it's confirmed as much as the Pope's schedule is confirmed. Well, he's going. <laughs> we know he's, he's going. going. <laughs> you he's, know, we he's know going. he's going to be here. Nobody knows what he's doing. Yeah, that's okay. But Matt Marr will sing at some point, somewhere. You know what? I think that the, you know the great thing about it. There's a, there's a, and some, you know, and you know this playing this world. You say there's a, um, you just show up. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the spirit. Yeah. You just show up and and. We'll, you know, wait to see whatever God wants to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'm assuming you're also uh, planning for Krakow, because I'll be there. Yes, yeah. So we're 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 moving forward with that, and um, been building. You know, kind of getting to know the folks yeah, organizing will be staying in Krakow, and and um, and the same thing. You know, I think the thing is, is that whenever you invite the Pope somewhere, ninety percent of your work goes into trying to figure out how to get the Pope from point A to point B. Yeah. <laughs> and then the last 10%, you go, oh, yeah, we also have, you know, all this <laughs> other have, stuff happening. We have music. Unless they hire me to do that stuff, because, you know, I have, I have some experience in that area. Um, tell us quick, <laughs> just a little bit, tell us a little bit, because you're also on tour you're doing a uh, your is it the, on this this album tour this fall that you're yes, doing it's called this yeah the saints and sinners tour yeah and we're really just trying to unpack more you know unpack more and more some of these themes of you know what does it mean to hold this tension that we're you know we're redeemed we're we're the children of god you know we're his, his sons and daughters and yet we're not perfect yes and how do we hold that tension in our hearts and and especially, I think, in the way that we relate to the world around us. And it's, uh, I'm on tour with two other bands. There's a band called Iron Bay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, a young singer-songwriter named John Guerra. Right. And uh, we'll be on tour all of October, 
you know, part of November and part of December. Okay. So and that's in the kind states? of rolling right into Advent. That's in the states. Yeah, pretty much in the states. Yeah. Okay. Although, cool. if you're a church in Canada and you really want us to come, you know, I'm not. You know, you're not going to say no. It. Yeah, we're entertaining all, <laughs> all, all offers. All right, good. So you're still booking booking some dates. Okay, so that's good. So yep. that's in the fall. People can find out more about that if they're interested. And I love what you said about tension. That that to me, I think, is becoming like a little bit of a theme for me too. That we live in a tension, in the tension, mm. and maybe balance is, is is more positive. But I love that tension. That and that's the mystery. Um, in everything that we do, I had a guy just the other day, a, a parishioner of mine, who I've been I've been kind of walking with through a, a crisis, and 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 God really worked in his life just yesterday, and mm. and his response was, "I'm so confused," because he's like, <laughs> because I'll, but and I said, "What do you mean you're confused? I mean, this is what we've been talking about for a year," and he's like, "Well." God has a purpose and it's like and and it's that tension of like you, you move forward and you move back and we're saints and we're sinners and we struggle and we get up and we're children of God and I, I love it um, uh, thank you for writing writing all the songs that are going to help people journey journey as we oh, make our way to yeah, heaven brother okay that's all the time we have that's more than time more than the time that we have um, but uh, I look forward to seeing you around maybe I'll see you in Philadelphia but I'll definitely see you in Krakow Thank you so much, brother. You can learn more about Matt Marr, find out about his tour, or find out how to get his new album, which I'm sure is available at uh, any store near you, at his website, mattmar.com. Here now is Matt Marr with Because He Lives from his new album, Saints and Sinners. I believe in the sun I believe in the risen one I believe I overcome By the power of his blood Amen listening to Matt Marr with Because He Lives from his new album, Saints and Sinners. And that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that if you tuned in late, you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs for free at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. That's also where you can listen to uninterrupted music all day long on our four online Salt and Light radio stations, which are made possible thanks to the wonderful support from all our featured artists and their publishers. So go to our website and learn how you can listen to online or on the go on your mobile devices. Remember, you can always reach me through Facebook or Twitter, Deacon Pedro, and let me know what you think of what you hear on this show. You can also reach us now by sending us a direct voice message through our website. Go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio and try it out. You can listen to the Salt and Light Hour no matter where you are. All our programs are online, but the show is also heard across the United States on our partner radio stations, the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129, the Spirit Catholic Radio Network, the Barriga Radio Network, the Land Radio Network, WJTA Holy Family Radio in Ohio, and on the Relevant Radio Network. The Salt and Light Hour is also on our Salt and Light Roku channel. If you'd like to learn how to get Salt and Light on your Roku, visit us at saltandlighttv.org. 
Thank you for your generosity, for your prayers. This program is completely free thanks to donations, so thank you for considering us when you're making your charitable contributions. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Oh,